The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey friends and welcome to the happy hour. My name is Jamie Ivy and I am your host of this weekly podcast where I invite a guest to join me every week and we just chat about things they're doing in their life, things in the world, funny things, silly things. It really is just like a happy hour. What you would do if you met your girlfriends uh, for a drink or they came to your house for coffee in the morning, you would just chat about everything. And so that's what this podcast is. I hope you enjoy it. Today, my guest is Jen Wilkin. She's a Bible study teacher who lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And this podcast is full of wisdom. You're going to need a pen and paper because she has great nuggets of truth for us parents. We also talk a lot about her new book and how she wants to encourage women to study the Bible with their entire mind and their heart, both of them. So I think you're going to like it. It's a lot of fun. I want to say thank you so much to people who have been leaving reviews and comments on iTunes. Uh, Wynn Elder said, I love listening to the happy hour every week, whether I'm driving the kids around town, cleaning the kitchen, or working on something mindless. This is such a pick-me-up for those daily chores. I love all the guests and Jamie. Thanks, Wynn. And Wynn has been a guest on here. You will love her uh, her podcast that she did with us. Uh, My friend Laura left a comment on Stitcher, where you can also subscribe. And she said, a fun, easy, laid-back listen. Always a great time. So I know you're going to love our time with Jen today. Um, Go do whatever you're doing, whether you're running or folding laundry or sitting down with a cup of tea for a quiet hour by yourself. Enjoy it. Here's Jen. Hey, Jen, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so fun. Okay, so just so everyone knows, you're actually... Um, my first guest that I probably have known for the least amount of time. All right. A little element of surprise involved then. Yes. We actually just met this summer for a brief second at a conference that we were both at and that you were doing stuff at and I was attending in Orlando. Yes. And somehow I convinced you to come on a podcast with me. (laughs) I don't know what happened, but you said yes. So thank you. Um, okay. So everyone that's listening, just give them a snippet of who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Jen. I am a wife and I have four kids. My kids are 18, 17, 16, and 14. Oh my, they are so close. That's like mine. A lot. Yes. It's the easiest thing in the world, isn't it? Mine are all in four years. Yes. That's us too. Oh, gracious. Yeah, so um, I've I've usually done most of my ministry things uh, during nap time and at night time. Right. And uh, so, you know, mine are uh, all teenagers now, so that's a whole different thing than when they were small. But it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. They still sleep all the time and want to eat constantly. So in some ways, they're not different from newborns in that regard. Right. But um, I am an author. I just wrote a book called Women of the Word uh, that talks about building Bible literacy among women uh, through women's Bible study. 
and I lead an interdenominational women's Bible study in my community called Flower Mound Women's Bible Study, where we put into practice the things that the book discusses. So I teach that, I write curriculum for it, um, and I'm also on staff at my church. I go to the Village Church, and I'm the blog editor at the Village. Fun. The blog editor. I like that. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. So fun. Um, okay. So I was, when you told me your kids ages, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is my future <laughs> because my kids are 10, nine, eight, and six. Yeah. And so you have one that just went off to college. Am I right? He's leaving in two weeks. He's at a, he's at a camp right now getting ready to go. And um, he, I, I think if he had his way, he would, he, he would just stay down there and wouldn't come back. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. And then what grade are your other kids in? So this year I'll have a senior, a junior, and a freshman. So they were not all in high school at the same time? No. You know, we have a whopping 21 months between the last two, and that was enough to throw off the uh, years in school. So fun. I think, I always mess up this math, but I think my kids will all be in college, I mean in high school for one year together. Maybe. Are they all like one year apart in school? Okay. So I see, I always screw this up. I have a fifth grader, two third graders and a first grader. Oh, see, because twins, what a great idea. Well, they're no, kind of adoption, twins. They're right? adopted, right. But yeah. they're six months apart. So half the year they are really twins. Yes. But with my first grader and fifth grader, does that make them in high school together? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Well, we're just like you then. Yeah. Okay, so the other day I was talking, and I always joke around that I never want my kids to leave, which in reality, I don't really mean that. I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> Eventually, they have to leave, and it will be wonderful for Aaron and I, um, and I look forward to that. But I always joke around with that, and I was recently visiting a girlfriend in Nashville, and her son is about to get married. So a little different than your son going to college, but still a brand new step. And I said to her, I was like, I can't even imagine like one of my kids getting married. I can't, I can't even fathom that, you know, that he's 10 and she's like, Oh, but when it gets here, you'll be so ready and it'll just be the next step and you will have prepared him. Do you feel like that sending a kid off to college? I do. You know, I feel like he's ready in all the right ways. I know that it's time. I know it's what's next. I think the thing that makes it feel sad is just that, you know, and you're probably going to feel the same way because our kids are so close in age. They've been a peer group with one another yeah. and um, not all families have that. Just, you know, you mm -hmm. don't necessarily get to choose how close together your kids are going to be in age. But in our case, they really have been a peer group. And so we've always been able to do everything together. Uh, we were interested in going to the same movies. We're interested in going to the same art exhibits. We like to take the same vacations. And um, so the idea that there's now going to be an empty seat in the minivan, that there's going to be an empty seat at the table, that, you know, how are we going to finish watching West Wing if Matt's not here? <laughs> you know? It's like he's going to miss the whatever season we're on, you know, and it feels wrong. It feels like we need to wait, but we can't wait for him to be with us. So, but at the same time, he's fully cooked, you know, I mean, yeah. he, he, he has internal mechanisms for making wise choices and it's time for him to go try those out. Oh, so. Honestly, when you talk about it, I really did at my dining room table, just get a little teary eyed because <laughs> I know what you're talking about. You know, we yeah. don't, 
my, I have three boys and my youngest is a, a girl. And so the boys, like, I, we don't have a lot of friends come over and play. We don't do a lot mm-hmm. of sleepovers because they just have each other. Right. And they're right. just buddies. So I, I, I feel what you're saying and it kind of, I understand how that would be sad. Well, and in our case, you know, we've always had the kids, we have two boys and two girls. So everybody has always had a roommate. Right. And, uh, Calvin, my youngest has never spent a day in his room without having Matt there, you know, I mean, unless obviously, unless Matt were away at camp or something. So even when he was a baby, his crib was in Matt's room and Matt would come downstairs and say, mom, I think Calvin has a fever. You know I mean? They just, they've never Mm -hmm. known anything, um, other than that. And so it feels strange to think that Matt is going to be somewhere else. But also Calvin is planning on making some changes to the room. (laughs) Calvin's like, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) Got paint colors. So, um, is Matt staying close? Yeah. He's going to go to A&M. Okay. Yeah. Did either you or your husband go to A&M? Well, yeah, both of us. Oh, well, so it's just like, it's what you do, right? Right. (laughs) Are y'all diehard Aggies go to football games? Well, we don't go to games only really mainly for financial reasons, but uh, we definitely loved going to A&M. I would not say that we're the parents who brainwashed the kids. (laughs) We didn't like say you can go other places, but we won't pay. We didn't do any of that stuff. Right. But they knew that we loved it and had a positive experience there. So, so fun. Um, I did not go to a big college here in Texas. I went to HBU down in Houston. Yeah. That's where I I ended up graduating from. That was my third college. So it took me a while and I took a little crazy turns, but that's where I ended up. Um, But Aaron, my husband, Aaron, used to lead a breakaway in the, since we've lived here like six years. And so I would, I went down there with him, I think twice in maybe the four years that he did it. And, um, there's just, I mean, as much as I'm a Longhorn fan, there is something <laughs> really cool and special about that campus yeah. and the students there and just breakaway. I remember when I walked into that, um, it was at the basketball arena. I, uh-huh. I think that's where I was. And just all of those kids that go to the college there, it was, it was really, really cool. And the Stewarts do amazing things there with breakaway. I just, I'm a fan. Yeah, they do. It's a great that's a great ministry that they're doing. I have no idea how long Breakaway has been there. Was it around <clears throat> when you were in college? Okay, this is funny that you would ask me this. Um, <laughs> Greg Mott, who started Breakaway, right. was my roommate's partner for Fish Camp. Okay. My sophomore year. And so uh, I just knew him socially. And he started breakaway. I think he started that my senior year, or maybe I was there for a year of graduate school as well. But anyway, my husband and I would, we were dating, but we would go, uh, when it met in the community center and was 25 or 30 people. That's so crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy to me that it grew into what it is now. And I think, and, and so then I had the opportunity to go back and speak at all women's breakaway a few years ago. Uh-huh. And I got into that one's in Rutter auditorium and I stood up to to speak and looked at, and it was just the women, but I mean, it was, you know, it was about 3000 college age girls who had come to this on a Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And I was just overwhelmed with the thought that we had prayed for that, Mm -hmm. you know, all those years ago when we were in the community center, we had prayed that the Lord would move on that campus and to stand there and see the fruit of it was really emotional. That's really, really cool. Um, another thing about breakaway that I noticed when I went the two times is man, college kids do stuff late at night. 
Oh my god! I was like, wow. Wait, this is, I I'm like in bed when y'all start this thing. Oh, yeah, when I that night that I spoke, uh, I had to have a Starbucks at like eight thirty because they oh. said, you know, you'll probably start talking around ten, and I was like, ten. <laughs> No, the day's over then. Oh, the day. I mean, like I'm in bed watching the news, waiting for Jimmy Fallon and they're just getting going. Yeah. Funny. So funny. Aaron, they would actually drive back at night afterwards. And so he'd get home on Tuesday nights, you know, like one, two in the morning. It was crazy. Oh man. So crazy. Um, so so with the sending off a kid to college and then three more kids starting, have your kids started school yet? No, they start in, I think on the 24th. Okay. So you have two more weeks or something like that. Do y'all do big, like back to school shopping at your house? No, (laughs) we don't either. We never have, (laughs) we, we, but our, my kids wear uniforms too. So, Oh, I love uniforms. We don't have that. I wish we did. It's actually genius. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. No, I can't. Uh, yeah, no, we tell them, Hey, if you would like a new shirt, uh, <laughs> right? let's go find something in the $15 range and we will make that happen. You will look really good on your first day of school. And yeah. after that, it's just what we got you. That's right. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, okay. So you mentioned like your son being prepared to go off to college and ready and that he has, you know, this inner self to make good choices. I feel like a lot of times parenting, like I feel like I'm in a sweet spot. And you mentioned how y'all are watching these TV shows together. And I know that Aaron and I are going to really, really enjoy parenting teenagers. As mm-hmm. I think it's going to bring a lot. It's going to be more difficult than I anticipate. But I also think in some aspects, I'm going to truly love being with them. Yeah. So I even feel like right now we're in this sweet spot. Like I said, they're 10, 9, 8, and 6, where life is just a little bit easier. You yeah. Know? It's just... I, I, everyone, if, if, if I told them they had to feed themselves three meals today, they all could, I mean, I don't know what they would eat, but they would all survive, (laughs) um, you know, and they all dress themselves, they shower, everything is getting easier in that sense. But we are right. I feel like we are right on the edge of it getting very much harder emotionally and spiritually. Can you kind of talk about like what that looked like for you as a parent going from parenting you know, the, the 10 to six year old to the 12 to 17 year old, because I feel like it's going to be a different world that I don't really know what's coming. Yeah. I don't know if our experience is normative or not. We, um, we really felt like it has not been, we have not had some of the things I've heard other people have. And, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I mean, people always want to say, oh, that's because you're such good parents. But the thing is, I know good parents who have had <laughs> yeah, for know, sure. difficulties. And so I, I really don't, I, I feel like the Lord has, in some ways, I wonder if the Lord hasn't given us um, a relatively peaceful home because it frees us up to minister outside the home. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but we certainly regard it that way. We see it as, you know, we haven't had a lot of chaos and difficulty with the kids. And so it, it does give you bandwidth to, to, to find ways to serve others. Um, I think with the kids moving, you know, they change, it goes from being extremely physical, the ways that you're helping them, uh, you know, laundry and food and all that kind of stuff to being your, basically when they come in the door after school, it's pretty nonstop mm-hmm. until about 11 o'clock at night with interacting either around schoolwork or around what's happened during the day. And we, we talked about when they were little about how we always wanted to have a climate of conversation in the home. We wanted them to talk to us about everything. And I do think that that's what we have ended up having. And it has been a, a great thing, but what it means is that they are coming home and downloading everything mm. 
from four o'clock until 11 o'clock. Right. And so that is another kind of exhausting. It's mm-hmm. not that I don't want to hear it. I certainly do, but it can be hard. I'm sure you can relate. It's hard to be present for that whole time. It is. But um, I, I love what you just said about the climate of conversation. Yeah. We really did want it to be, we wanted them to come to us first when they uh, heard scary things at school or something they didn't understand. And we got that and it took a lot of work. It took a lot of training them sort of how to have a conversation and that when you're ready to talk to me, I will drop everything I'm doing and sit down and listen to you. Uh, but it's definitely, uh, it's an investment that you keep making until the the moment they walk out the door at 18. Yeah. I love that this summer, um, Aaron and I both have been off of all social media. Um, and you know, we noticed a lot is that whole present thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm like embarrassed to say that sometimes we will not have time to talk to our kids because we're in the middle of doing something on our phone or on our computer, you know, and as someone myself who does a lot of stuff on with an online, you know, that can be difficult. And so for me too, it's a, it's a real challenge for me to stop everything at three 30. Right. When I feel like I have a good two more hours worth of work I could put in, but to stop everything at three 30 and just shut it all off. Um, Right which is hard. And it's sad that it's hard. You know, sometimes I'm like, Jamie, why is that so hard? But sometimes it just is. I'm not great at it either. I'm still fighting for it. You know, as long as someone can reach you by email at any time of the day, it's hard. It is hard. And, 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 you know, I think at least currently there's an expectation that because someone can reach you, you should be available to respond at any time of the day. Oh, for sure. And I, I think some of it is just, you know, we've got to get over that. And I think we probably will as a culture, the more we adapt to, to just the technology yeah. that's not been around, but we're not there yet. And I'm having as hard a time with it as everyone else. And I did find too, that the kids many times thought if I was sitting on the computer here at home, they didn't realize I was working on the Bible study. They thought I was on Facebook. Right. <laughs> like, and I had to say, you know, Hey guys, just when you need to ask me something, say, mom, can I ask you something and let me respond and give you eye contact and then we'll talk. Don't talk to me while I'm staring at the screen. You know, we're, we're all having to sort of learn new rules with this. And I tell you what, I am so thankful that all of this wasn't around when I had little kids, because I really do think I would have failed big time. Mm. I think I would have just had a hard time setting boundaries, you know, and that's hard. I'm glad you set that up because you know, I do feel like all my kids are in school right now. So all day I can, you know, do what I need to do and work. But I agree with you as having young children, um, social media could really be an escape, mm-hmm. um, and not a good one. You know, it was like, like an escape of getting into a different world. I, I agree. I would have stumbled. I also say, I'm glad that all this stuff wasn't around when I was in college. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Or middle school. <laughs> oh, I would, no one would hire me today. I would just be done. <laughs> would just be like, Nope, we know about you. Um, oh, so do your kids, are they on social media? Uh, yeah, they are. We, we had some guidelines around, you know, we had sort of like milestones about when they could get on Mm -hmm. certain things. And so they got Facebook accounts when they hit high school. Okay. So you got, you got your own email account. I mean, they get email through school now, but, uh, they would get their own email account and Facebook I think it was during the eighth grade, like, you know, right before they entered into high school. And it was so funny because the youngest, when he finally got his Facebook account, he was like, well, thanks a lot, mom. None of my friends are on Facebook, but, uh, you know, we do what we can. And so, and then my oldest son, 18 year old, he got, um, 
they, we had the kids pay for their own phones up until 18. Okay. And so they had really bad phones, which is fantastic because you can only do so much with a really bad phone. So true. And, you know, no data plan, anything like that. And, and so when he got, we did get him a smartphone at 18 because we wanted him to have a little bit of an on-ramp with it before he went off to college. Mm -hmm. And at that point he got a Twitter account, but I think by the time he got the Twitter account, he knew enough. You know, it's funny. I think sometimes my kids are more savvy about the dangers of social media than many of my peers. Hmm. Not always, but you know, they're, they're way more aware of how you can screw that up. And they post very little, you know, they're, they're very rarely posting a status at all, which is interesting to me because a lot of of my peers are out there all the time and I feel the temptation in myself as well. So now I'm uh, curious, you said he got a smartphone at 18. Yes. I could list right now, 10 kids that are my son's age at 10 that already have they right. may not be a phone, but they have whatever that is where they can access online stuff. Right. Right. Well, and our school district me. is giving iPads to everybody too. So you're not going to be able to push that off yeah. entirely, but we felt like we wanted the kids to see their phones as a means of needful communication, not as toys. Mm-hmm. And so when you're paying for every text and you're paying for every phone call with a pay-as-you-go phone, you, it, you're you more able to keep track of how much you're using it, you know, that yeah. kind of Yeah, that makes a big difference if you yeah. have to pay for your own phone. Right. Oh, that's crazy. I love that. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s, 
if you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you about something else that I read on your blog. Um, which by the way, tell everyone where you, what your website is. It's jenwilkin.net. Jenwilkin.net. Um, so I read on there about, you were talking about porn. Yes. Wah, wah, wah. So I, um, I want to talk about that cause I, you know, I have kids and I have talked about this a little bit, but already my children, um, three out of the four have been exposed to porn. And so my kids are young, Jen. Mm. I mean, this is like, it's just, it's like sobering for me to realize that and hear that. And, and we talk openly with our kids about sex. We, you know, we do all kinds of stuff. We have stuff on our computers. Um, but you talk a lot in that article that I read about, I mean, I appreciated the language that you used with your kids, uh, the, actually the word porn. Right. which the first time that this, we dealt with this in our house, I wasn't certain whether I should say that to them or not, because I'm like, well, if they know, then they know, then I don't know. I don't want to go there. But yeah. then the more I think about it, I'm like, well, that word is going to be used. Yes. So talk to parents th that don't want to talk to their kids about this. Like, why should we, why is this important? I mean, we know why, but it's hitting our kids younger and younger. Yeah. When we don't talk about these things, our kids hear about them somewhere else. And because they haven't heard about them from us, they assume that, that we don't know about them. Mm -hmm. It's not, they don't assume that we are not comfortable talking about them. They just assume that we don't know. And the more a child carries around the perception that his parents are out of the loop, right. the harder it is to keep a culture of conversation, a climate of conversation mm -hmm. in your home. And uh, they're not going to confess something to you that they don't think you even know about. And so you want your kids to know, Hey, listen, we know about this. And you know, a lot of people are really freaked out and afraid about this. And we want you to know that we are, um, cautious. We know that this is a danger that's out there. We want you to understand that it's dangerous, you know, to the extent that they're developmentally mm -hmm. ready to understand that, of course. Uh, but that we believe there are ways to navigate this, that we don't have to be 
consumed with fear around it. Right. And we also don't have to let this control us. And so, you know, it's porn is just one other thing in a list of many things where you want your child to know confession is always better than concealment. Mm-hmm. And so you have to start way before porn is even on the radar with training your children in the language of confession and repentance, because you want pornography if or when, and I'm, I'm leaning more towards when, when right. they're exposed to it, you want them to come to you and tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not even, you know, like, Hey, I did something wrong because pornography usually finds them whether they're doing something wrong or not. Yeah. So you just want them to know when something happens that makes you really uncomfortable, your first line of defense is to just come tell me and you can trust me not to flip out or, mm-hmm. you know, call somebody's parent and chew them out. We're going to respond in a rational way that that is helping you stay safe and is also helping you learn how to process these things yourself because at 18, that's that's on you. I love that. And, you know, I've all, we've all seen parents that have flipped out under circumstances. Maybe it's been us or maybe our own parents or something. And, you know, what you're saying is so true because the flip out never makes your, the child feel as though they could come back again. You know, yeah. like I'm going to call, I'm going to just, I can't, you know, flipping out and losing it. It doesn't create this culture of them to be, feel like it's okay to come back to mom. No, Um, which is something that I'm constantly have to remind myself of, you know, I I want everything you're talking about. And so it's like, I have to remind myself that I want my kids to feel comfortable in our home and comfortable talking to their parents. You know, it's just everything you're saying is so good. Right. Well, and I think too, you know, typically within Christian subculture, we have this idea of maintaining a child's innocence for as long as possible. Right. And I mean, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, hey, let's just sit you down and, you know, bathe you in, in the muck and the mire. Right. But I think we also have to have some, some realism along with that, that there are real dangers involved with concealing or withholding um, things from our children when, when the likelihood that they're going to encounter them is very real. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I do, when you say that we want our kids to just, you know, to not know stuff, it's true. We all want that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to have this conversation with my kid. Not that I'm scared, but I don't want them to know about the bad stuff. Right. But it's so hard because the bad stuff will find them, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so parenting, I, some girlfriends and I were texting back and forth the other day. And I just said, Hadn't, had someone told me how hard this was going to be, I honestly am not sure I would have done it. <laughs> like, I'm serious. But I think God just withholds that because there's so much joy in it and blessing. It's wonderful. But it's so hard that in my selfishness, I might have said... I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I think it's hard to not operate out of fear instead yeah. of love. It's really hard. I think that's the constant battle. And, um, you know, parenting is hard. I don't think it's any harder than it used to be. Um, otherwise the human heart would have taken some turn for the worse. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's always been hard. It's just different kinds of hard and in different cultures, different versions of hard. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, you know, people have done this for centuries. There must be a way through and surely that way is, uh, with the help of the Lord. And so we're going to, we're going to do everything as far as we're able and as far as we're aware, and we're going to trust him. It is so good. And, you know, I struggle with fear in all areas and it's something I'm constantly giving over to, to God and asking him to help me with. And, but I never would have thought before parenting that I would have struggled with fear and parenting, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just another way that God draws me closer to him. I told my yeah. girlfriends in that same text, like, I don't think I would have known God as well though. 
Yeah. You know, like I wouldn't have had so many opportunities to have to trust him. Right. Um, which is what hard times do in our lives anyways. They bring us closer to him. Um, hopefully. Okay. Speaking of, um, God, hello. <laughs> Tell me you have a new book out. Yes. Which have you, how many, how many books have you written? That's it. Just the one. Oh, congrats. <laughs> this is like your inaugural book. I love it. It's my fifth child. So fun. Okay. So I want to know all things like what made you want to write this book? How long did you work on it? I mean, are you every, I want to know everything. Tell us. Okay. So I worked on it for about two years, but really it's the product of, you know, my 15 years or so of teaching women the Bible. Um, the reason I wanted to write it is because honestly, many times when I would go into the Christian bookstore and see the kinds of resources that were being created for women, I was just grieved. Uh, I felt like, uh, what, what Christian publishers seemed to think that women wanted was these highly emotive things that, uh, sometimes we called them Bible study, but they had very little to do with actually studying the Bible. And so I really wanted to reclaim for women a, an idea of what it meant to love God with their minds, to, to love him with their intellects, because, um, you know, women are naturally good at approaching their faith from a, an emotional place. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that comes easily for us, maybe less so for men. But the thing that is hard for us is to love him with our minds. We, some of us, it's a, it's a cultural baggage. We may have grown up during a time when we were told that women were less intellectual than men. But then, you know, I don't see that so much among younger women, but I do see that among older women. But I think even among younger women, there's sort of this um, culture that's grown up around, you know, things like passion uh, and, and where we we love that mountaintop experience. And so we then reduce our relationship with the Lord to nothing more than emotion. Mm -hmm. And we want to know, how do I keep feeling this way about God? How do I keep feeling a deeper love for him? And uh, I, I really began to see how women felt like the way that that happened was to have repeated experiences rather than to grow in their knowledge of who God was. But if you think about anything in, in your life that you have a, a deep love for, maybe it's even something like a hobby, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the reason that you love that thing, or maybe it's music or whatever it is, you know, the reason that you love it your love for it has grown, not because of repeated experiences of it, but because you learned, you made a study of it. You know, I mean, think about your spouse. Yeah, the reason yeah. that you love him more now than when you married him is because you have said what pleases him, what displeases him. How can I be a part of what he's doing? How can I find overlap between what he likes and what I like? All of these things. And, and then your love for him grows as you, as your knowledge of him grows. And, and this is what scripture lays out for us. Uh, Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, which is what we want. We want to be transformed as it says. I mean, that's what everybody wants. We want transformation. Yeah. Uh, and scripture says that transformation happens by the renewing of our minds, minds yeah. not, not our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that your heart isn't renewed. It's just that your heart is renewed as your mind is renewed. Mm -hmm. So what I want women to know is, um, you know, there's a way to get off the emotional roller coaster where you're always saying, I feel close to God or I don't feel close to God. Yeah. Uh, you're not always going to feel your relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, particularly in times when tragedy strikes or stress is high, not only may you not feel close to him, but you won't be able to trust your emotions, period. That's so true. To tell you the truth. Because yeah, our emotions will just 
send us into wacky places. Right. And in those times, uh, probably more so than in any other times, we need our faith to be grounded in the fact of scripture rather than in our feelings. I love that. And you know, Jen, I, I, I dealt with this with when I became mom, you know, a couple things about studying God's word when I became a mom is I found it to be extremely difficult Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way I found when I got married, it became a little bit more difficult. You know, each yeah. new stage became like, oh, wait, like you're always here. You know, <laughs> I need to be alone for a minute. And so studying God's word changed for me when I became a mom. Um, it just looked different, you know, and then it had seasons of change and seasons of, of greatness and seasons of struggle. Um, but one thing that hit me hard was as my kids got a little bit older, you know, I, when I talk about studying God's word and think about like the doctrines that I believe in and, and really like studying those and knowing mm-hmm. why I, for some reason, and it might've been just subconsciously how I was brought up for some reason, I just thought, well, Aaron will talk to him about those things. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's just what he's a pastor. Surely like he can take on this role of, of, you know, growing our child in this way in their faith. You know, I can do so much other and other kinds of faith, but he'll do that. And then I started realizing like, that's, that's not conducive to how life works. A, when my kids, you know, ask me questions about God and stuff, I never want to be like, you know what, honey, let's wait till your dad gets home. Because, and I found myself resulting, you know, kind of thinking that like, this is too much for me. I think that we should just, and some things, yes, but I just, it hit me one day where I was like, you know what? God has entrusted me and these are my four disciples that I'm discipling every single day. And so why would I not be willing to renew my mind, you know, so much so that then I can disciple them well. So it was really good for me. And I think you, I don't know if you agree with me. I think a lot of times that motherhood, women sometimes feel like they get to check out for just a little bit, if that makes sense. You know, I think, uh, I do also think there's a little bit of uh, wacky teaching circulating in the church around the whole idea that if a woman does um, invest in, in Bible study and then pass that on to her children, that she's in some way threatening her husband's role. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like, all righty. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a lot, a lot of elements to that, yeah. but you know, you've been given this incredible influence with your mm-hmm. children. So the idea that placing yourself under the transforming ministry of the word would cause you to somehow harm your primary relationships is just mind boggling to me. But uh, I do think, and I do completely understand and remember with great clarity uh, how, how constrained your time is Mm -hmm. when you have young children. And I think that we have sort of a romanticized or maybe simplistic idea of what it means to spend time in the word. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we feel like, well, if I can't have my 30 minute or one hour quiet time every morning, uh, I'm a failure. Yeah. Or I'll just won't do anything. Or I just won't do anything. Exactly. And so, uh, I always try to encourage young moms, give it what you can, Mm -hmm. but when you give it what you can give, give it in such a way that you're building uh, something long-term not something short term. So we have a tendency to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to spend time in the Bible and I want it to fill my spiritual tank for the day. Uh And when we do that, we're asking scripture to meet us on our own terms. Uh, And, and really what what we ought to be striving for is to have, you know, rather than view 
those those times that we do have as a debit account where we withdraw what we need, if we would view them as a savings account where we're placing deposits in there mm-hmm. uh, and trusting that the Lord is going to um, sort of accumulate interest on that over time. So that means I might sit down and only have 10 minutes. But if I use that 10 minutes for orderly study where I say, okay, I'm going through this particular book and I've started at the beginning and I'm on chapter five and I've been in chapter five for three weeks, but doggone it, I'm going to read 10 more verses. <laughs> right. You know, rather than, oh, I'm going to read a proverb that's really going to help me uh-huh. today. Get through the day. Yeah. 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 And, and so we keep moving towards um, sort of a bigger vision of scripture rather than just sort of maintaining this spot knowledge that's mm-hmm. pulled from all over. Yeah. Um, then, you know, when you do have seasons where you have more time to study, you do give it more time, Mm -hmm. but at least the time that you spent when you had less time was building towards something rather than just sort of helping you stay afloat. I remember, I always tell young uh, moms with young kids, I remember having, um, babies and just feeling overwhelmed and that yeah. feeling like I couldn't give God all that I needed to give him. And then I would cycle through guilt and all that was just not healthy. But I remember something that I did is I would, whatever I was reading and studying, I would just put on the table with my Bible and my notebook. And literally I might visit it like seven times during the day for three minutes at a time. Right. You know, and it was just, I was just going to have it there so that when I could, I could sit down and invest in that time. But it right. just looks so different than when I was, you know, in college and could yes. go to a coffee shop for hours and spend, yes. you know, that it's different. And the Lord is not unaware of your life stage. Thank he gets you. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, he's okay. You know, it's, but then the question is when you do have more time, do you then mm-hmm. take advantage of that additional yeah. time yeah. or have you gotten into a pattern of thinking, okay, I'll get by on the bare minute. You know, it's, are we always looking forward to, um, the opportunity to give more time to it, uh, as our life stage allows And I think, you know, when you're a young mom, you really do need some structure and some accountability Mm -hmm. if you can find it, you know, your local church or through a community Bible study. Uh, Also, man, it's a great way to just get the heck out of the house and put on some clothes and go somewhere uh, or gather in your home. And it it can really help during those busier times of life to just have a little bit of external structure in place. I love it. And I've had seasons too, where a couple of us would just... We may not even be able to meet together every week, but we would email every Monday and Wednesday, you know, what we're reading, what we're learning and that kind of stuff. And it was just accountability that way as well. Yeah. So good. So, um, now you've got this book under your belt. Mm -hmm. Um, are you looking forward to writing more books? I am. I do have another book idea. uh, And I also have a curriculum that's been published by Lifeway now with a DVD driven teaching times, which it'll basically take it's it's a study on the Sermon on the Mount. And Mm -hmm. um, it takes what the book puts out there as a, as a study method. And then it kind of handholds. That's what, when I, when I write curriculums for my, for the study that I lead each week, that's really what we're doing. I say in the book, Hey, you should try doing this and you should try doing this. And, you know, and you can take those tools and you can sit down and, and find a book of the Bible and begin to go through it. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that just because I tell you, Hey, you should mark repeated words and phrases that it takes a little bit of time for you to develop a sense of how to see those, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have to learn how to ask better questions. And so what I hope that the curriculums do is that they begin to help you start thinking in terms of what's the better question to ask here uh, when you're reading the text. So is that something that anyone listening could go to Lifeway and pick up today? Yeah. Okay. So it can be an individual DVD study. 
It's not yeah, like if a you want group. to. Okay. A group? Yeah, there's a there's a page at the end of each lesson that gives discussion questions to go through if you're meeting with a small group, that kind of thing. I love it. So fun. Um, usually when I talk to some of my other friends that are authors and that, you know, a book just comes out and I'm like, Oh, are you, are you taking a breath? And they're like, no, I'm writing the next one. And I'm just that's like, right. oh my gosh, this world is so crazy that that's <laughs> how y'all go book to book to book. It's just exhausting almost. It, it is. Uh, you know, and in my case, I, I mean, I, I have this book that I, I think is inside of me and wants to come out, mm-hmm. but then I also with the, with my study, I write the curriculum for each semester. So that is a huge, huge, huge time commitment. So the book is always sort of working its way in and, and blogging as well. It's always trying to find a place to happen in, in the middle of all of those sort of day-to-day things. It's so that, crazy. You know, my kids are back in school right now and everyone's like, you know, people that don't, they'll be like, oh, what are you going to do? Like, just hang out? And I'm like, uh, no. Yeah. And I don't know about you. Writing is hard for me. It's, it's hard. Not, it's hard for me. It does not just happen. I don't just sit down and, you know, content falls out of me. It is really hard. Well, I have really enjoyed reading your blog since I met you this summer. So it's really, it's, it's practical. It's full of wisdom and it's not fluffy. It's great. I really, really enjoy it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so what is your study that y'all are doing this fall at your Bible study? So we alternate years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we just finished up a year in the New Testament. So we're back in the old, and I'm teaching Joshua this fall and then Judges in the spring. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, Rahab. There will be a lot of really, you know, really uh, interesting things. I think in Judges we get to talk about the concubine that gets cut up and mailed around to everybody. So. Wow, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it would be super easy. <laughs> um, so are you ahead? Like, have you already written everything for Joshua? Yep, Joshua is at the printer right now. Okay. Which means it's time to turn around and write Judges. <laughs> so while you're teaching Joshua, you'll be writing Judges. Yeah. Okay, that's got to yeah. be hard. You know, it keeps me off the streets. There you go. I love that. I love that. Do you get much writing done in the summer when your kids are home? Uh, no, it's pretty hard, but you know, they sleep in until 11 or 1130. So I do, I try to jump up on the days that I'm not working. I jump up and try to get writing done before they're awake because I, I, that's my other problem is I do require like complete silence Yeah. and that's a rarity, you know, mm-hmm. when you've got a house full of kids. Yeah. I also, I don't know if you're like this. So, you know, I shut down at three 30 and then, um, my kids are usually the last ones usually in bed by eight thirty, so it's sooner than your kids. Yeah. But for me, my mind does not work writing wise at night. I, I I am not one of the people that can stay up at night and write or write after the kids go to bed. Can you do that? I can. In fact, I did last night, and I'm sitting here slugging coffee down. Yeah, I think because when they were little, I got into that pattern. I okay. felt like, oh, when everybody's in bed, mommy gets her brain back. And and also, I'm not a morning person. Are you a morning person? No, I'm not that either. And I can stay up late doing things that are, you know, don't matter at all to the world (laughs) or the kingdom. But I feel like my mind, maybe I'm just not training myself well. And maybe I need to take advantage of that time. But for some reason, it's just really hard for my mind to think about anything that matters. (laughs) It's weird. I don't know why. 
No, I, I feel like sometimes my mind opens up. I, I really am aware that my mind opens up. You know, how they always say your great ideas come in the shower and uh-huh. it's because you're finally not, you know, being disrupted. Yes. And, and I have really noticed how I have to have time where I haven't been looking at social media or responding to emails. I have to have long stretches for that. And That's sometimes good. they just don't come till the evening. That's good. Sometimes, you know, my husband's an artist and a songwriter and sometimes literally he'll be like, we have a studio in uh, the back of our house and be like, Hey, I'm going to go shut everything off in the studio. And then it's like two hours later and things just start, he just started like playing the piano. And next thing you know, he's like writing a song. And next thing it's like, he's back at three in the morning and he left at like 10, you know? So I understand that for some people, especially true, like artists, artists, I would not call myself an artist, but artists, like it just, it happens no matter what you're doing. Well, that's what I was so unaware of. I didn't realize how the creative process functioned, and I didn't think of myself as a creative. I did. I never thought of writing as a – that's so stupid mm-hmm. to say, but I didn't think of it as a creative function. Right. And so I thought, well, I'll just try to fit this in wherever I have pockets of time. And uh, I just began learning that creativity requires large stretches. It made me I, – I, I changed up my work schedule so that I had entire days where I was off. So that I could have, you know, and I used to think that when I wasn't producing something, mm-hmm. when I wasn't actually putting words on paper or whatever it was, preparing something to teach, that that was uh, wasted time. And I finally came to realize that it's not wasted time as long as you are sort of feeding your creativity and letting things marinate in there. It's all going to turn into something at some point. I love that. So when did you start writing? Well, okay. So I don't know how long I've been blogging, maybe about five years. And prior to that, I did not write a word. I mean, I wrote, you know, thank you notes and Christmas cards. And, um, what about your Bible studies? How long have you been doing that? Oh, I've been writing curriculum probably for 10 or 12 years. Okay. So you've been doing that for a while. Yes. Okay. Just actual writing, like the blog kind Uh of thing. Hadn't done any of that since really since college. Okay. Um, and it just, I, I thought maybe it wasn't in, in me anymore. Uh-huh. And then I think once the kids got a little older and some, some brainwaves opened up, it, it started to happen again and it's been really enjoyable. But yeah, the curriculum piece I've done for 10 or 12 years, just because, uh, I just couldn't find, find curriculum that dovetailed well with the way that I wanted to teach. Mm-hmm. There are good things out there. There really are, but I have just found that it's way easier to teach something that you've built mm-hmm. than to take someone else's in, in my, just in my personal right. opinion. Right. Not everyone feels that way. So when did you first start teaching? Uh, like, do you remember the first time you taught something that you had written? Oh yeah. Uh, so I was, <laughs> I was in a, a study at my church and we lived in Houston for many years and, uh, I was in a small group and I was terrible. You know, I was talking way more than I should. <laughs> and, uh, this dear woman who was in leadership in the Bible study came up to me at one point and said, you know, I think maybe you have a gift of teaching <laughs> uh, rather than please go home. You're driving. Cause home. you won't stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. So, um, So then I tried leading a a couple of studies using someone else's material. And I found that I was always working too hard to tailor the teaching Mm. to whatever questions they were asking and that I had these other questions. And so I just thought, well, I'll give it a try. And I started with not many questions, you know, just a few things Uh uh, to try to focus their attention on what was going on in the text. And then over time, as I sort of warmed to the study method, 
I began adding other things in, you know, hey, look up this word. I started realizing there were things that I was doing as I was prepping a teaching that were things that would be beneficial to them to do and started building those into the curriculum. Because then, you know, the more work that they've done, the more foundational pieces that they've done before they sit under the teaching, Mm -hmm. the more you can do with the teaching. For sure. Uh, And I think that's, you know, that's something that we sort of lose track track of we lose track of how many times we go and sit in a room and hear teaching over a text that we haven't spent any time with ourselves Mm -hmm. and I know as a teacher it's not just that I can do more with the teaching when you've read it and lived in it for a week before you come it's it's also that it holds me to a higher level of accountability I, I I can't just throw out any scenario or any interpretation to a group of women who have spent a week really laboring over interpretation on their own yeah And I think I love that because I think it just gives even the Holy Spirit just more room to push you because you have already been saturated with this section and then sit under teaching about it. I mean, I love that. Yeah. I love it so much. Okay. Well, I, here's what's funny. I ordered your book on July 31st, Uh Oh. (laughs) but Amazon says I'm not getting it until August 18th. Yeah, they ran out. <gasps> That's good. It is good. Yeah, lots of places ran out. And I know there was another printing that was supposed to be shipping out sometime around the beginning of August. So I would expect that there should have more stock maybe before that. I don't That's know. It's so funny because I, I when I had asked you if you want to come on here, I was like, oh, I'm going to get our book because I want to read it. <laughs> just Not just because you were coming on here, but because it looks like something I would enjoy. And then I keep waiting and waiting. And finally, uh-huh. I checked Amazon and it's not coming. Yeah, Forever. they're 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 not in a hurry. I, I mean, I don't. I guess they can't do anything until it comes from the publisher. I think the publisher did not. You know, the initial printing just ended up not being adequate, which is fantastic. I'm thrilled. That's great. Um, but there's something in me that just wants to go and print the books myself. You know, <laughs> come on, people, you're stressing me out because I I keep getting contacted by people saying, why can't I find your book? And oh. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, by December there'll be, they'll be given copies away. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have to be like, you know, I have a dream to write a book and I would be like, my biggest fear is that it would go <laughs> to print and then they would start selling it and they'd be like, Jamie, no one's buying it. We're, well, we- I did. I certainly had that fear, <laughs> <laughs> but this is even better because it means people are buying it. Yeah, they're buying it. And then I think the other piece, you know, just because they buy it doesn't mean they'll understand what you've said. Yeah. I think as a blogger, I know maybe better than some writers how easy it is to be mistaken. Mm -hmm. Meaning, and I think that was probably my biggest fear was I'm going to put this out here, this thing that I care the most about, and I'm going to be misunderstood. Mm. And that has not been the case. That has been a really gratifying thing that women have read. That's so good. Um, Have you had blogs that have kind of, that you have felt like you've been misunderstood about? Yeah, I think it's not so much that I've been misunderstood as it is, you know, well, if you've ever read comments on the internet, you know that people willfully misunderstand anyway. And uh, yeah, I talk a lot about how uh, we have a Bible literacy crisis, but the reality is that we have a literacy crisis. Most people just don't know how to read for, for detail or to understand how an argument has been formed, and they expect you to... Uh, include every nuance of an idea in a 750 word blog post. For sure. Yeah. You know, as a writer, I understand the limitations in the medium, Mm -hmm. but my readers don't always. Yeah. That's so So, true. And and you just don't have the time or the space. You're not writing a book. You're writing a blog post. Hey, I will tell you this. I haven't experienced this much because my 
blog is I, is not as big as some of my other girlfriends, but people on the internet are crazy. They, yes, they and are. And here's what happens is people will say anything, but they would never say that to your face. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I, I mean, I, I love the internet, you know, I work on the internet and it connects people and it, you know, can be used to share the gospel. But man, people also feel as though if they're behind a computer screen and no one can see their face, then they can just be mean. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, honestly, I, I don't take it that personally because I think, well, you don't know me. And the Do you fact- read the comments? The bad ones, or do you have someone uh, no, to not no? I mean, I no. Normally, uh, like if something is really getting a lot of um, ugliness in the comments, I'll ask my husband to just go out there and read it, and I'll say, "Hey, can you just let me know if there's anything I need to respond to out there?" And he kind of sanitizes it because the thing is, is if you do read them all the time, it's going to totally kill any creativity that you still have. That's so true. And, and they can make if they're good, then they can make you feel all puffed up, and if they're bad, they can exactly. break you down. Yeah. Exactly. And so I look at it as if someone is genuinely concerned, if someone, I think people, um, mistake the comment section as a place where honest dialogue happens. And I don't, I don't feel that way. And sometimes it does. I don't mean to totally discredit it, but I think if someone genuinely wants to dialogue with me, they can find, you know, I have a contact email on my Mm -hmm. blog. They can send me an email and we can have the discussion. Uh, but the reality is most people who leave comments on blogs just want a platform Yeah, and uh, for their own ideas. Yeah, and it's hard as a blogger, too. Like you mentioned, there's so much more to who you are and so much more than yeah. what you say that someone doesn't know that. And so that is one of the difficulties of blogging, I would say, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not good with, um, like, negative comments. Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I worked at a radio station here in town, and um, when I was leaving... I got, we just got some people that were so mean to me. I mean, it was awful, Jen. And I, like Aaron came home one day and I was at my computer and I was reading like emails that were sent to the station about me and I was just crying. Yeah. And he was like, Jamie, why are you reading this? And I'm like, well, because I just want to know what they think. And he's like, no, you don't. You really don't. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know these people, first of all, you know, and you're all your friends that are around you are supporting you. And those are the people that can speak into you, you know, if they see something wrong in your life or whatever. And so I struggle with that, Jen. It's just like, I tend to want to read them and then feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst person in the world. It's dumb. It is. It's crazy. It's dumb. And I, I vow right now to never do it again. Well, you know, I think my husband's been really good to remind me. He'll always say, hey, your Bible study is the most important thing you do. And he'll say it over and over again. Because that's where, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing ministry. Ministry people, there. People with faces. People mm-hmm. I have a relationship with. And and so, you know, he, he's always good at reminding me that what happens, whatever ministry you're doing online, it's not the same as face-to-face ministry. And don't ask it to be. Uh, let it, let it do what it's able to do, but don't, you know, you you can't let those kinds of, and it's not like I have an overwhelming number of, of, uh, negative comments that get put out there. I think in my case, you know, I'm a woman without a seminary degree in a pretty conservative, uh, theological environment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm an easy target for young seminarians. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) you know, there's just a lot of people who feel like they need to say they're smarter than me in the comments and, I need to not worry about that. Right. And and maybe they are. Who cares? Right. They're, uh, that's fine. You can yeah. be smarter than me. I'm not. Yeah, that's there fine. There you go. That's, who cares? I don't care. I hope there are people out there who are smarter than me. If there aren't, we're all in a lot of trouble. We're all in trouble. Oh. Uh.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Okay, this is so fun. Well, Jen, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for letting me come on. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. And so your book, Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with Both Our Hearts and Minds, you can find it some places. You know, it is some places. It really is. I I think they had it on Barnes and Noble, you know, give it a few weeks. It should be around. And if you go to Amazon, I mean, you can order it. It's just, it it won't get shipped to you for until, you know, a couple, maybe mine looks like next week. So not that bad. Somebody said they kind of bluff on that. You know, it's kind of like when they tell you at the restaurant, you're going to wait 45 minutes and you're like, Oh, probably more like 20. Exactly. I think Amazon's kind of the same way, but I can't, I don't know when exactly they'll have more stock, but I'm sure it'll come in at some point. Well, I'm excited about it. And just if there's anyone listening in the Dallas Fort Worth area is, are your Bible studies open or is it just through a church or what's that look like for them? Uh, yeah, well, so we still have a few spots left in the evening group. We uh, we meet at Treach United Methodist Church, and um, we have a morning session and an evening session. And the morning study is full, okay. but the evening study does still have some spots left. And if you um, just wanted to come to the teaching time, that's also a possibility as well. If you if you you know didn't want to get into a small group. Um, you can just show up for that. And okay. uh, so there's information on that on the blog as well. We have a tab on the blog that says FMWBS, and that's where we keep all the info on that. And we'd love for anyone to come who wants to. So fun. Okay. And I will put all of this um, on my website as well in all the show notes. So any link we've talked about or anything, Great. you'll be able to find it there if you're listening. So thanks so much. Thanks, Jamie. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Guys, I told you that you would love Jen. She was full of wisdom. Check out her website. It's jenwilkin.net. You're going to love to follow her blog. And if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can check out our Bible study as well. Guys, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you shared with your friends. It just helps people find out about this easier. I'd love it if you subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher. So, guys, thanks so much. And I'll see you next week with my guest, Laura Kelly from Pitter Patter Art. You're going to love Laura and our conversation. So I'll see you back here next week. And thanks for listening to the happy hour. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, 
for the love of home.